two hips could have three hip replacements when the youngest of the group, Mrs. Blum, piped up. This isn't the first time Lenore's bumped into a lady with a walker. Remember Mary Haas and the Mother's Day brunch? Margaret Hoover and the reflecting pool? Velma Tate and the Christmas tree? The quilters considered and agreed that Lenore did appear to have a habit of barreling into the less agile residents of Ocean View Hills. So far, none of her victims had suffered more than bumps and bruises, and in Margaret Hoover's case, an unexpected alfresco bath. But if the pattern continued, it was only a matter of time before someone broke a bone. I would be less concerned if these incidents didn't happen so frequently, mused Mrs. Stonebridge. It's also troubling that Lenore didn't help Rita to her feet. No pie is worth adding insult to injury. The other ladies waited expectantly while Mrs. Stonebridge deliberated, her needle darting through two small squares of fabric with small, even stitches. Maggie found that she, too, had stopped sorting out watercolor paints in anticipation of the verdict. After a few moments, Mrs. Stonebridge spoke again, Dottie, would you please tell Lenore that I would enjoy chatting with her whenever she has a spare moment? Mrs. Blum, the spryest of the group, nodded and hurried off. Maggie suspected that Mrs. Stonebridge expected an immediate response, despite the casual wording of the request, and sure enough, Mrs. Blum returned several minutes later with a tall, solidly built woman with a slight stoop to her shoulders, and a look of puzzled wariness in her eye. Mrs. Stonebridge greeted her with a warm smile. Oh, hello, Lenore. Won't you sit down? Mrs. Hicks nodded and seated herself in the chair Mrs. Blum had vacated. Mrs. Blum frowned and glanced about for another chair to drag over into the circle, but the only empty seats were heavy armchairs near the fireplace. She folded her arms and stood instead. You wanted to speak to me? asked Mrs. Hicks, anxious. Yes, dear, said Mrs. Stonebridge. You see, I'm worried about you. Mrs. Hicks, who had clearly expected to be reprimanded for some forgotten offense, relaxed slightly. Worried? About me? Why? I'm concerned that you might have an inner ear disorder. You seem to have some balance problems. I'm referring, of course, to your unfortunate collision with Rita in the cafeteria yesterday. Anyone can have an accident, but you must have been feeling especially unsteady on your feet to be unable to help Rita up after you had knocked her down. Oh, said Mrs. Hicks, uneasy. Well, I was in a hurry, you see, and her friends were there to help her, so I thought she was all right. It turns out she was, Mrs. Stonebridge reassured her, but I'm sure you saw that for yourself when you went back later to apologize. Mrs. Hicks said nothing, a guilty, pained expression on her face. Oh, I see, said Mrs. Stonebridge, sorrowful. Well, I'm sure your balance troubles are nothing to worry about, but you should get yourself checked out, just in case. I'll see the doctor today, said Mrs. Hicks in a small voice. And this is just a thought. Since poor Rita is still bruised from her fall, perhaps you could bring her meals to her until she recovers.
The busboys can do that, can't they? It will mean so much more coming from you, don't you agree? Mrs. Stonebridge smiled. Should we say a month? Do you think that would do? Mrs. Hicks agreed, and for the next month, three times a day, Rita Talmadge waited at her favorite lunch table while a repentant Mrs. Hicks brought her meals to her on a tray. Mrs. Talmadge was satisfied, and Mrs. Hicks, who received a clean bill of health from the staff physician, learned to be more courteous of her fellow residents. Maggie marveled at the simple elegance of Mrs. Stonebridge's solution and how well it restored harmony to Ocean View Hills, and at how willingly Mrs. Hicks and Mrs. Talmadge had complied. Over time, Maggie learned that conflicts were often resolved with Mrs. Stonebridge's guidance, and she found herself thinking that it was a shame the former professor of anthropology couldn't lend her services to heads of state in troubled regions of the world. Mrs. Stonebridge read the Sacramento Bee daily and the New York Times on Sunday, and her opinions on world events were always thoughtful and well-reasoned. At least Maggie thought so. She had no doubt Mrs. Stonebridge could offer brilliant and graceful solutions to conflicts around the globe if only political leaders knew where to find her, and if those same leaders could be persuaded to submit to her decisions with the same humility and desire for harmony as the residents of Ocean View Hills. Since Mrs. Stonebridge kept herself apprised of events in the lives of the staff members with the same thoughtful diligence she applied to her fellow residents and to world events, when Maggie's personal life took an unexpected turn, she decided to tell Mrs. Stonebridge right away. She would ferret out the truth eventually anyway, and Maggie wouldn't want to hurt her feelings by having her hear it secondhand. On the morning after her 25th birthday, Maggie came into work early so she would have time to deliver the news before her shift started. She found the courtyard quilters gathered in the recreation room, their chairs arranged in a circle in front of the windows with a view of the garden, just like always. Mrs. Stonebridge looked up from her sewing to smile at her. Well, there's the birthday girl. How was your party last night? It was all right, said Maggie. After work, she had met her two best friends for happy hour at La Hacienda, where they filled up on free nachos, sipped margaritas, and discussed the men at the bar. At least her friends did. Maggie merely played along, pretending to admire the cute guy in the tan suit who had smiled at her. She had little interest in meeting someone new a mere four hours after breaking Brian's heart. "'Well?' inquired Mrs. Blum, trying to get a good look at Maggie's left hand, which she quickly concealed in her pocket. "'Did he pop the question, or didn't he? Don't leave us in suspense.' "'He didn't,' Maggie said. "'We broke up.' The courtyard quilter's exclamations of astonishment and dismay brought an orderly running from another room. Mrs. Stonebridge waved him away with a shake of her head and a reassuring word. That louse, said one of the quilters. I always knew he was no good. He's a good man, Maggie defended him. He's just not the right man. How can you call him a good man after he broke your heart, said Mrs. Blum, tears in her eyes. And I've already started your wedding quilt. I warned you not to, said another quilter. That's bad luck. Never start a wedding quilt until you've seen the engagement ring on the bride-to-be's finger. He didn't break up with me, explained Maggie. 
I broke up with him. This time, the quilters responded with exclamations of incredulity. It's not because of that sense of humor thing, is it? Demanded one, because that's a lot of malarkey. Who cares if a man laughs at your jokes? That's not it. At least, that wasn't the only reason, although Maggie had always been troubled by how out of sync their senses of humor were. She couldn't remember a single time in three years that any of her small witticisms or amusing anecdotes had made Brian laugh. Smile politely, perhaps, but not laugh out loud in pleasure or joy. If he had no sense of humor at all, she could have excused it, but he laughed loudly enough at movies, even dramas, and at his friend's corny jokes. What made a person laugh spoke volumes about one's way of looking at the world. Brian's stoic response to things that amused Maggie made her feel as if they were gazing upon the same landscape, but facing opposite directions. She understood the courtyard quilter's astonishment. In their three years together, she and Brian had occasionally discussed marriage, but Maggie had assumed their discussions were purely hypothetical. They had attended friends' weddings and confided how they intended to do things differently when their time came, but neither of them explicitly said they were talking about marrying the other. Then came the day Brian's mother invited Maggie to try on her late mother-in-law's emerald engagement ring, a treasured family heirloom. You'll need to get it sized, she had advised her son as the ring slipped too easily past Maggie's knuckle. Inexplicably, Maggie had been seized by panic. She quickly removed the ring and replaced it in the jewelry box, managing a quick smile for Brian's mother. Had everything been decided without her? Brian's family seemed to assume that he would propose and that when he did, that...